0: U.F. and uh, they got married and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he attended R.T.S. Charlotte and uh, got his Master of Divinity from R.T.S. He then served at a church in Meridian, Mississippi, and in July of 2015, the Breedens moved back to Tennessee, where. He's the Ruf Minister at Tennessee Tech. They have three children: Eddie Pearl nine, Miles seven, and Stella four. We're thankful to have Gavin here today. It's really wonderful to be with y'all this morning. Um, and uh, yeah, the world has changed quite a bit since the last time I was here, but. Uh, and good to see that y'all are uh, here, and, uh, and uh, it's just a pleasure to be worshiping with you and preaching for you this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 John. We're going to be looking at verses uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And 1 John is, is a great book for both new Christians and mature Christians, because in it, John, the elderly apostle near the end of his life, is writing a letter uh, which really focuses on what are the essential marks of both the Christian faith, what we believe, and the Christian life, how we live. And one important aspect of the Christian life is having fellowship with God. And this morning, we are going to look at this passage which, uh, in which John describes for us uh, a bit about what fellowship with God looks like. And so let's give our attention together to God's Word. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from the hymn and proclaimed to you If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him once again and ask him for his help this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do ask uh, that you would help us, Lord. We know that we are needy. Um, We need you, in fact, every hour. And we uh, ask, even now as we come to this passage, that you would uh, meet with us, that you would be near to us, that you would open our ears to hear, open our hearts to believe, that you would help us to rightly understand your word, O Lord. Father, I do pray that you would help us to see the Lord Jesus this morning, and we ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, when I was in the fifth grade, I remember there was a a pretty uh, a cool group of boys who were running around on the playground every day. And as time went on, you know, and I started running around this group, as time went on, this group sort of got bigger and bigger to the point where it was difficult to find an activity for all of us to do something together. There was just too many boys trying to hang out in this little club. And so the self-appointed leaders decided to thin out the herd a bit. They, they did this by creating sort of a gauntlet of activities that uh, for each of us to run through on the playground every afternoon one week, that we're going to, you know, you have to kind of make the cut to be in this this cool group boy club that we have. And so I remember one of the activities was like swinging, getting on the swings and going as high as you can and jumping out at the absolute height of the swing. Another one was kicking a ball. You know, who can kick the ball the farthest? Another one was jumping. There was three seesaws in a row. We had to jump from each, you know, seesaw to seesaw. They're all about five feet apart or something. Um, Things like that. And this gauntlet ran for several days. And I still, although that was, you know, in 1995, I still remember sort of the the anxiety (laughs) every afternoon of whether I was going to make the cut. Am I going to be in with these guys? Am I going to, are they going to accept me? Am I going to be one of them? Am I going to share life with them? Am I going to share fellowship with them on the playground after this? And I think it's not uncommon for us to ask those questions about other people, right? Am I really, am I really in with you? Am, are we really in fellowship? Are we really sharing life together? And we could even ask that question about God, right? How, how do I even know that I have fellowship with God, right? Maybe in the early days of, of the Christian life, this is a question you can ask frequently. Am I really in a relationship with him? I can't see him. Right? I talk to him, but I, I'm not sure if he hears me. I read the Bible, but I'm not sure if he's speaking to me. Am I really sharing in this abundant life which God has promised me in Jesus? But this is a question that, that we can ask at any time in a Christian's life. Am I really a Christian? Right? I, I still struggle with doubts. I, I still wrestle with sin. You know, Maybe we assume the Christian life would feel more spiritual than it, than it actually does. Maybe we imagine the Christian life was sort of uh, this unending uh, time on a mountaintop, but so often we find ourselves it's in the valleys, and we wonder, am I really in fellowship with God? Or, or perhaps during you know a time of isolation, which we recently experienced and are still experiencing in some ways, we feel cut off from other people. We feel cut off from our church family, maybe. And it causes these questions to bubble up in our hearts. Am I really in fellowship with God? Am I really united to Jesus, even when I can't physically gather with my church the way that we used to? Is God really with me? And John's letter is very helpful for doubters, because this letter is literally filled with, with evidence, with, with proofs of true faith, evidences of what it looks like to really be in fellowship with God. God that we're to be truly united to Him, what that looks like. So this morning, we're going to consider two proofs from from these verses. Two proofs that we're in fellowship with God. The first one we're going to look at is that we're walking in the light. The second one is that we're honest and sorrowful about our sin. And so first, let's look at verses 5 through 7 about walking in the light. First, I want to be really clear what John is not saying here. He's not saying you must walk in the light. In order to have fellowship with God. Like, as in, he's not saying you have to perform a certain way in order for God to accept you. Rather, what John is saying to us here is that if you are walking in the light and not in the darkness, that is evidence that you have been changed. That is evidence that you are in Christ, that you are in fellowship with God. He tells us this negatively first in verse 6. He says, if we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Like if we say that we are in fellowship with God, but the habits and the patterns of our life reflect darkness rather than light, if our lives have, grown, have become ingrown and, and self-centered and, and we seek to hide our misdeeds in the dark, if the patterns of our life are not in harmony with the character of God, then we actually don't have fellowship with God. He states the same idea positively, in a more positive way, in verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. That if we are walking in the light, if, our, if the habits and patterns of our life are reflecting the character of God, then that's evidence that we are really indeed in fellowship with God, and, and also in fellowship with other believers, other Christians who are in Christ, but notice it's also evidence that, that we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that our sins have been washed away. And, and John is letting us know that, that having fellowship with God, one of the byproducts of having fellowship with God, is that we have fellowship with one another. And this is a fellowship which transcends space and time. That we, you know, In a way, we have fellowship with the Apostle John who's writing these words back in the first century. We have fellowship uh, with the Christians to whom he's writing to, who've long ago died, passed away. That we have fellowships with with Christians throughout history who are now in heaven. We have fellowship with Christians around the world who are worshiping in various places this day. That we have fellowship with one another, uh, though some are here, though some are streaming at home, that we are collectively united to Christ. We are drawn together and bound together by the Holy Spirit. There's a deep connection and bond that, that nothing can break, not even social distancing, right? And it's important for us to remember th- that this is, this is all because of the finished work of Jesus and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because there is no way that we could walk in the light on our own power it's not something that we have the ability to, to do on our own, to muster up inside of ourselves. It's only when we are in Christ. It's only when we have been cleansed from our sin by the blood of Jesus, when we have been made into a new creation, that we even have the ability to walk in the light. It's very important to emphasize, though, that, that walking in the light does not mean that we live perfectly, right? That, that we are sinless. This becomes really clear as we look at verses 8 eight through 10 in a moment. This will be really clear. But walking in the light means that our way of life is growing more and more in its ability to reflect the character of God. That there's a harmony between our lives and the moral teachings of the Bible. That we are living a life that reflects the qualities and character traits that the Bible holds up and says. And that... Like that the Bible says this is what the good life is. This is what the good life looks like, that we're loving other people, that we are forgiving others as we have been forgiving, that we are serving others, especially those who are on the margins of society, those like the orphan and the widow, that we're practicing self-control and humility. That's what walking in the light looks like. Here's an example of what I mean. You know how all babies kind of look alike? Maybe you don't think so, but I think all babies sort of look, look the same, right? All babies look very similar, and it's always really funny when there's a baby born, and like people kind of gather around, they're like, oh, I think, I think this baby looks like the mother. No, I think it looks more like the father, but it just looks like a baby. It's really hard to tell who the baby looks like. But as the baby grows up, right, as it becomes a kid, as the, as the features start to become more distinct, right, the nose gets a little bit bigger, Right? The eyes may change color even as they, you know, as they enter into toddlerhood and whatever. And as time goes on, you really start to see, oh, no, I can really see now. You, you've got your mother's eyes. Oh, man, you know, the, the shape of your face looks just like your father. You can start to see those, those distinctive features coming out as the child grows up. And you're, as you're growing up, you begin to display these characteristic features that you're kind of growing into. And that's what the Christian life is like. As we're growing, we begin to look more like our heavenly father, right? Notice that verse 5 tells us about God's character, that he is light and that in him there is no darkness at all. He is holiness and purity and perfection. There's nothing evil in him, nothing hidden, nothing wrong in him. He is light. And so for us to walk in the light means that we are growing in godliness, that we're growing more and more in the way we live to resemble Jesus. We're sort of growing into the, the family look, right? Christian growth can occasionally happen quickly, but more often than not, Christians grow like trees. It's something that takes a long time, right? It takes your entire life. This past semester uh, in our in RUF at Tennessee Tech before coronavirus sort of threw everything uh, you know out of whack. We were going through the the fruit of the Spirit, and it's funny, I didn't tell Richard that I was going to talk about this, but but uh, I guess he picked the fruit of the Spirit passage this morning, which was really appropriate. Uh, But we were going through, I preached through the fruit of the Spirit with my students this spring, and we were looking at Galatians 5, right, at these nine qualities that are listed there, right, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And each week, we kind of took each of these and looked at them and kind of considered them and considered how, they, how these, we noticed and observed these qualities growing up in us in the Christian life. And the fruit of the Spirit is a great summary of what it means to walk in the light, right? It means that these qualities are present and growing in your life. Again, it does not mean that we do them all perfectly every day. Of course, we don't. We fail every single day. But as the months and the years go on, we begin to see these qualities, these fruit... Becoming more evident in our hearts and in our lives, right? We're slowly becoming more loving, becoming more patient, becoming more joyful, more gentle, exhibiting more self control. And here's why this is so important because we so often try to evaluate our spiritual health by all the stuff that we're doing for Jesus, right? We, We sort of evaluate our spiritual health by asking these questions Am I reading the Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Am I sharing the gospel enough? Am I serving enough? And these are great activities that we should be doing, of course. But these aren't great ways for us to measure and gauge our spiritual health, because you can do all of those things and still not know Jesus. You can do all of those things and still hate your neighbor. Rather than asking, how much stuff am I doing for Jesus, we need to be asking, what kind of person am I becoming? What kind of fruit is my life producing? Is love truly growing in me, love for God, love for my neighbor? Am I becoming more patient with my spouse? Am I becoming more gentle with my children? Am I walking in the light? Is my character slowly growing to look more like God who is light and in whom there is no darkness? Is my heart and life growing towards the light or the darkness? And so that's the first proof that we have fellowship with God. Are we walking in the light? Are we growing to look more like our Heavenly Father? I think I'm just going to take this off. Is that okay? <laughs> Sorry. Loud. I, have a, I have a voice that carries. Um, so let's think, let's think our second point this morning is if the fact that we're, if we're honest and sorrowful about our sin. Okay. Um, now John probably knows the temptation That we have as human beings, right? That this idea of growing in holiness, this idea of our sanctification, this idea of walking in the light, uh, that we can take that idea and sort of get it wrong. We can take that idea and we kind of push it to the extreme. And that's why in some Christian circles, and maybe even in our own hearts, it can be tempting for us to take this idea of walking in the light and maybe sort of take it to an unhealthy or unbiblical extreme. And here's what I mean by that there are some Christian groups that claim to live the victorious Christian life, right? That they don't sin. And they sort of set that as like the standard, that this is the standard for Christian living, to not sin. Every spring, every semester at Tennessee Tech, we have people uh, from those sort of groups who come to our campus and preach on the quad, on the plaza. They maybe do the same thing at Austin P, And they come and preach this sort of, that if you sin at all, you're not a Christian, and, the, you know, the speaker will say, I haven't sinned in 23 years or, or something, you know, absurd like that. Uh, but the people who actually claim that sort of thing are, are, are sort of in the minority in Christianity. But it's not uncommon for us as Christians to do that in a, in a slightly different way, maybe, right? For us to quickly admit, of course, I'm a sinner. I sin every day. But we sort of project to the world around us that we have it kind of have everything under control, Right? that sin isn't really too big of a deal in our lives. We kind of got got it handled. Or 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 else we the, the sins that we admit that we struggle with are sins like, oh, "I really don't read my Bible enough. I really don't pray as much as I should." You know, we 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 rather talk about those sort of sins than talking about our greed or our lust or our our pride or our rage. It's easier to talk about uh, sort of the nice, uh, the respectable sins as Jerry Bridges wrote in a book rather than to talk about the darker things that we struggle with because we want to sound like we have it all together. We want to sound like we're winning, like we've got our sin problem under control. And that's exactly what John is getting at here in verses eight and 10. If you notice in verse eight, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Walking in the light does not mean that we're sinless. In fact, as we, if we try to claim that we're sinless, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we haven't sinned, we're making God out to be a liar. His word is not in us. In other words, here's an additional proof that you have fellowship with God if we are honest about our sin. If we are honest, if we don't sweep our sin under the rug, we don't diminish it, we don't pretend it's not there, but we're honest about it. But being honest about it is not quite enough, right? You can imagine a person who's honest about their sin in a way that's boastful, in a way that's not repentant, a way that's not sorrowful, but that's not what we're after here, right? We, we're, we're to be honest and sorrowful about our sin, right? Look at verse 9. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only are we honest about our sin, but we are sorrowful about it. The Greek term used here indicates that we are to be continually in the practice of confessing our sins to God, Certainly the first time we, we come to Christ, when we become a Christian, right, we confess our sins, we cry out to him to save us, but that's also to be the continual practice of the Christian life, confessing our sins to God. And, and the Greek term used here for, for, for this term of, of being forgiven tells us that it, this word forgive means that it's a once and for all action, right, that, that your forgiveness is, is, you're forgiven by God and it is a forgiveness that lasts for all eternity, that you're, you're forgiven forever. We are forgiven and cleansed and it is done once and for all. That even as we continue to confess our sins to God, we do so knowing that forgiveness is guaranteed. Knowing that forgiveness is already ours. It belongs to us. It's been secured for us by Jesus. That we can go to God in confession with, with confidence when we confess our sins. We go with confidence knowing that we are already forgiven. It's not like we have to wonder, I sure hope he forgives me this time. When we do a confession of, of sin in, in church or, at, in, in, you know, in a quiet time, I sure hope this time there's, there's a little more forgiveness left for me in, in God. I hope there's a little more forgiveness stored up for me. We don't have to wonder that. The forgiveness has been secured by Jesus. It's already ours. Our confidence in, in continually confessing our sins and repenting is rooted also in God's character. That he is faithful and just, as we see in verse 9. That he is faithful to the promises that he has made to us in Jesus. That he is just, that he's not going to hold our sins against us, which have already been paid for by the Lord Jesus on the cross. And that's why when we as Christians go to God in confession, God does not scold us. God does not pour out wrath and judgment upon us. He does not condemn us when we go to him as his children in confession because he's already done that to Jesus. Jesus has already been condemned in our place. Jesus has already been, had the wrath of God poured out for our sins. Jesus has already stood in our place. And so we go to God in confession knowing that we are going to be received by a father who is eager and willing and ready to love, to forgive Shower us with His mercy and grace, but and this doesn't make us cavalier about our sins. Rather, it encourages us to confess, to repent, even more, knowing that our forgiveness is secured, knowing that our forgiveness is guaranteed. There's a famous um, book, famous story. Uh, it's the it's 14th century uh, narrative poem called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Maybe you read it in school or heard about that. I won't recount the whole story for you here, I'll just briefly tell you a little bit about it. Sir Gawain is the nephew of King Arthur, and he has the reputation that he's the most honorable, noble knight among the knights of the round table. And in this story, he goes on a quest. And at one point, he's given a green sash, but he is told by the person who gives it to him, don't tell anyone where you got it. You need to lie about where you got this green sash. And so Sir Gawain, the noble Sir Gawain, he does lie. He lies about where he received this green sash. And eventually he is confronted. He's, his lie is discovered. And he is confronted with, uh, with, with the evidence of his lie. He's confronted with it. And he immediately confesses what he's done. You know, yes, I lied. I, I confess what, I, what, it, what, what I've done. And in this confession, he's speaking with a king, It's not King Arthur, it's a different king. He's speaking with a king, and the king immediately forgives him and pardons him for his his lie. And the king then invites him, hey, come into my castle, you're forgiven, come into my castle, let's have a feast. But Sir Gawain refuses. He says, no, no, I'm not worthy of that, I can't. And instead of going into the king's fellowship, the king's feast, He makes the long and difficult journey back to Camelot. When he arrives back in Camelot, he recounts the story to King Arthur, to the other knights of the round table. He tells them of his sin. He tells them of his lie. And then he says these terrifying words. Listen to this. He says, For man's crimes can be covered, but never made clean. Once entwined with sin, man is twined for all time. In other words, he's saying, yeah, I, I will never be free of this. this will, the stain of this lie will, will be on me forever. Right? I can never be, you know, have this sin, the stain of the sin removed from me. My guilt can never be removed from me. A very har- harsh and sad thing to say. And he says, I'm going to wear this green sash that I lied about. I'm going to wear this the rest of my life as a reminder of my sin, as a reminder of this thing that I've done. And the king, actually King Arthur and the knights, their response is really odd. They kind of laugh at the story. They're sort of like, what a strange story, and what a strange response. And they're sort of laughing and making light of this whole thing, and they think it's really funny. And they say, you know what, we're going to wear green sashes too from now on, just, to, just as, a, as a testament to the story and how much we enjoyed your story. And as a tribute to Gawain. And it is a really great story. I would encourage you to check it out. But, but it reveals that there's two ways that we can go wrong with sin and responding to our sin, right? We see Sir Gawain, who takes his sins way too seriously, right? That, that he, 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 he thinks that it's impossible for him to be forgiven and pardoned. He feels like he has to punish himself. And he believes he's never going to be washed clean of his guilt. And he even turns down a feast with the king. Who has forgiven him? He refuses fellowship with the king because he won't accept the king's forgiveness. He can't believe that he's really been forgiven. So that's one way we go wrong with our sin. We could also go wrong the way that Arthur and the other knights do, by taking it way too lightly, by thinking it's sort of a joke, it's sort of funny. But John, in 1 John 1 here, he's presenting us with a different way to understand our sin. Yes, to see it as serious. Yes, to to be honest about it, to be sorrowful about it, to continually confess it but to also rest assured that once we have been forgiven by God, once we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that it is once and for all that that we are forgiven indeed, that we have been invited into a feast with the King, that that when we do these things, it's evidence that, that we have been forgiven, that we've been renewed, that we really are, we really truly are in fellowship with God when we are sorrowful and honest about our sins. Back to my fifth grade story. You've probably been wondering the last 20 minutes, what happened? Did I make the cut? Well, I went through the gauntlet of challenges on the playground, and at the end of the week, I did not make the cut. This was very sad. It stung. It hurt. I think the seesaws is what tripped me up. But I was out. I did not measure up. I was out of the cool boys group in fifth grade. It was pretty devastating at the time. I was not granted fellowship with them. But thankfully, God does not work like that. God doesn't say, Jump through these hoops, and then I'll love you. God doesn't say, Perform perfectly, and then you can have fellowship with me. Instead, God invites us to see that we can never make it through the gauntlet. We can never make it through, we can never fully keep the law. We can never do what is necessary to earn righteousness, to earn his favor but that Jesus has already done it for us. Jesus has gone through the gauntlet in our place, that he has made the cut, he has been approved, he has performed perfectly, and we are invited to rest in his perfect work, to rest in his perfect performance, to be cleansed by his blood, to experience the joy of being totally forgiven of all of our sins, to experience the deep connection of being united to God, being united to one another in his spirit, to truly find fellowship with God, to share in his abundant life, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that fellowship with you is not something that we have to earn on our own. It's not something that's even possible for us to earn, but Jesus has done it for us. Jesus has gone ahead of us and done all that is required, all that is necessary, and then he shares that with us. By his perfect work, by his death on the cross, we are forgiven and cleansed. We are united to him. We have fellowship with you, O oh Lord. We have fellowship with one another. We thank you for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.